0: Good evening everyone I'm Kira Lawless and you're listening to Ross FM the show Inspired Lives where I interview people who live lives by their passion and by their inspiration and today I am delighted to be joined by Sean Dolan. Now I have to say first of all congratulations to Sean he has a new show here um, on a Wednesday and you must tune in it's called Echoes of Erin. Good evening Sean how are you can you hear me?
1: Very good, Kira. Now on yourself.
0: Well, huge congrats to you. And we're going to ask you all about your story now in a moment, but I understand you have a huge humanitarianism um, aspect to you, but you also were previously a teacher. Can you tell me what was the transition like from teaching to now?
1: Yeah, so I was teaching for four or five years, and then I decided I had enough with that, and I bought a property, and then I was doing some, work on the property and I was listening to Ray Darcy and the twenty fourth of February had occurred so the Russians and Ukrainians had moved into the next stage of the war and I had always wanted to do some humanitarian work and the radio was on all the time and I just thought that like the time was right.
0: Absolutely. And let's just go back right from the beginning. So what inspired you? I know you've grown up with GEA and you would have had that culture Um, what inspired you to go into teaching?
1: Um, Well I loved the classroom and I I loved the environment, I loved the atmosphere of the classroom I loved the safety and security of being in a class and I kind of thought that it would be the same when I was at the other end of the desk but uh, I got that one wrong and it wasn't it wasn't half as pleasurable. Now, I did enjoy it. I enjoyed, I enjoyed many aspects of teaching, but it, was, it didn't have the same collective sort of environment as it does when you're a student. Now, luckily for me, I really, really enjoyed school, and I suppose I just wanted to kind of stay there for a long, long period of my life. But mm. then when I was actually teaching, I really enjoyed the, the student's, but I just felt like it wasn't right for me at the time. Now that's not to say I might. I'm, that's not to say I won't go back. But it definitely, it definitely wasn't fulfilling what I wanted in life at that time.
0: Absolutely. And one thing about you, Sean, and everyone's gotten to to hear it is you have a fantastic voice, and that's why radio is, is so amazing for you. But also, you have this humanitarian strike, and that's what really kind of got you then to go to Ukraine. So tell us how you were hearing about the war, but what impact was it having on you?
1: Yeah, thanks very much uh, for saying that and for uh thanks Lillian for getting me on to Seamus in Ross FM and I've it's been an absolute whirlwind so I'm delighted so thanks a million to yourself as well. Um yeah, so what well I was I was working away on my own and I had gone from having speak like speaking to really 150 people on average a day and then I was working away doing a small bit of construction on my own and the radio was gone and I always had this ever since the age of about 11 or 12 um, whenever I remember getting the first Atlas at home and I would always be looking at the maps and studying different people instead of maybe reading, some, reading stories and the minute I found out I, I remember when I was about 11 or 12 I remember I found out that not everyone was as well off as we are in Ireland, and mm-hmm. that kind of baffled me a little bit. And ever since then, I I wanted to go to these places. I wanted to go to people who weren't as so well off. I I just wanted to have like a fellow human. And it, it was always inside me. And then when when the when this stage of the war occurred, and you heard the people coming on live on air, and you know. Everything that ensued after that i I decided that well i'm twenty eight now I've no ties at home, I have no steady job i' have loads i've a lot of energy, and these people need people who are like me who are who feel like they have something to give mm-hmm. so i I thought about it for about five days i'd say and then. It's just a matter of putting a plan into action then.
0: Yeah. And I suppose as well, I suppose awareness when it came to the war, I know you you, started, you taught history in school in Irish, so you would have been so aware of the impact of World War Two, and that's huge in the curriculum, I suppose, in secondary school as well. So I suppose knowing the effects... And then just after that, it was just that inspiration, and you took upon that. And how amazing is it that you took that? A lot of people might sit back on the sidelines and chicken out at last minute, but I think it it really does go to show that you just have to take action on these things.
1: Yeah, exactly. And i I didn't know. I didn't. I didn't know what. I mean, luckily, very fortunately, here we've never experienced. We've never experienced down in the south, but um, I didn't know what. I was going to get into, yeah. but the, the figures were there, the attacks were happening. If you went over there and you were just a body to move water from one place to the other, um, I knew that I knew that help was help was needed. Um, it was it was a barbaric attack, and it still was going on, of course. But it was they needed they needed people over there. So I think the biggest thing was. Um, let it sit, it it sat with me for a while and then I thought, okay, I have to make the decision, it doesn't matter what you're going to do, but if you make the decision that you're going to the border and that's it, that everything else will follow suit, but to make the initial decision, and it's like anybody who has has ever done anything worthwhile it's the initial decision, it's like am I going to do this or am I not going to do it and it just wasn't it felt like the right time for me. So once I decided I was going to do it, then it was just a case of staying focused on the challenge.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And when you got to the border of Chemichel, what did you see?
1: Yeah, that's a, that's, that's a really good question because a lot of people will ask. Like, since I came home, a lot of people, mm. what was it like? What was it like? But I suppose the senses, just what, what I saw was. Um, It was a a shopping centre, so where we were based, myself and my friend Olivia, we were so it would be like uh, it was a it was an old shopping center that was cleared out of anything, I felt like we were, we were getting the, it was definitely the lower class people that were coming to us because they didn't have anywhere else to go, so it may have happened like that some of the middle class or upper class might have escaped Ukraine, but they may have had some money so that they could stay in a cheap hostel for a week or two and maybe have a relative somewhere across Europe, but we were getting the people that had had oh, literally geez. the clothes in the bag, the clothes in the bag, and that that was kind of it. And then wow. they, were just, they just came to the centre and it was up to the volunteers at the centre to help them find a route to safety, I suppose.
0: Wow, isn't it a huge? Was there many... Like, that's a massive responsibility, but was there many of you, we'll say, over that, ensuring all mm-hmm. those people's safety?
1: So... Was there was volunteers came from different countries in Europe, and they'd set up a table and a desk so that when the Ukrainians came to the centre, they would go to each. They would go to a desk and find out. Okay, is can I get to this country safely? What can that country offer me? I don't have qualifications in X, Y, and Z. I don't have any money. I'm disabled. Um, where can you tell me what this country has to offer because at the minute I'm fleeing my home and I don't have yeah. anywhere to go so this information is, is, is really vital to how I'm actually going to spend the rest of my life mm. so they would come to each desk and they weigh up their options and say we were at the Irish desk, and there was a gentleman there called Joby Redmond from Dublin who had set up the desk mm. and when myself and Olivia got there we had raised uh, for forty-five thousand euros, so we were going over there with a, a sizable amount of money that could affect a lot of people's lives. Yeah. So we got in touch with him, and he he told us the goings on. And at the time, now unfortunately, since then, uh, the free travel has been rescinded. But at the time, there was free transport, free train and bus rides across Europe, and the ferries were free also. Okay. So what would, what would happen was we would be at the desk and we'd go in the center and in the morning there would be a line of ukrainian people in front of us and then we would find a translator who could speak ukrainian and english or russian in english and then we would give them the details of what ireland has to offer then we would plan a journey for them to ireland so what would happen a lot of the time is because we had to be very savvy with our money because it would only go so far is we would have to send them from an area from the eastern Poland was where we were we would have to send them to uh, perhaps to Germany where the flights were much cheaper because of the amount of Ukrainians leaving Poland at that time there was over 2.1 million of them in the first three months that came across the Polish-Ukrainian border and because there was so many people there there was a in the, in the with all the flights so therefore we could be looking at sending a family of five from Polnan which could be 200 euro per head but if we sent them on a free train journey to Berlin or Cologne or Frankfurt or somewhere uh, in Germany or maybe northern Poland we could be looking at 60, 70 euro ahead so we had to for each person that came we had to be able to gauge, okay, what kind of a journey is this person capable of making and weigh it up against how much it's going to cost?
0: Wow. I'm just here thinking as well to myself so, like, it's, you know, the building that you were in, obviously, and you said it was an old shopping centre. Like, there's obviously a lot that goes into, even before the volunteers come over and before the place gets filled. Like, was this being premeditated to get this building ready before the war was even declared? Or was this pulled together within a few hours of the war being declared? The whole facility will save the building?
1: Yeah, it was completely so it was a it was an old shopping centre that was not in use anymore. Mm. So the mayor of the town that we were in, Chemisl, he ordered that the the army would man the surroundings and like they would do security and police and then mm. the Polish police were there and then it was turned into a refugee centre, but beforehand it wasn't a shopping centre. I'm not 100% sure on how the whole operation came to be, but I guess in times like that, when there's such an influx of people, these kind of things, they just kind of come together, and suddenly if it's starting to work, and there's loads and loads of helpless people coming, you just kind of have to run with what you have, and if it's, if it's working effectively, we just have to kind of stay going with it, and hopefully improve as time goes on. But it was an old. We're back.
0: Well, I'll tell you what: the thunder and lightning is getting everything today.
1: <laughs> <laughs> We're not too bad here.
0: Oh, that's not so bad. We're down Ross Common at the moment. We do have a little bit of uh, thunder and lightning. So there'll be a little bit of spot flooding later on, definitely. But let's <laughs> let's bring us back now to Ukraine in uh, Shevchel and so you're in the building um, you're doing your work you're, so your jobs you're answering the phones booking flights what else were you doing?
1: So yeah we were booking booking flights was the main thing um, so when I went over first we I did more of the physical uh, side of things like sweeping floors disinfecting changing bed sheets cleaning up cleaning out toilets and all that kind of stuff that just keeps the running of the camp going and then um, I was asked if I'd take over the desk. So took over the, the Irish desk then, and from that point on I spent, I think, five and a half weeks at the desk and coordinating journeys for the Ukrainians and um, getting them tired.
0: OK, and you had a, your friend Olivia was with you as well, Olivia Feehan as well. Tell us, was the 2V, did you go out at the same time? or did you go out two different times?
1: So the two of us did all the fundraising together and Mm. then um, we travelled across in the van, so we drove across to Europe, we drove across Europe because we figured that the van would be yeah, the van would be needed um, for medical supplies Mm. and perhaps airport journeys so the two of us headed over and then she's a psychotherapist in Athlone. It support yeah. TUS Athlone. believe now. So um, yeah, she came home then after two and a half weeks, and I I'm not a hundred percent. I think I stayed. I stayed another five weeks. I think.
0: Wow. Okay. Was that a huge thing then for you to say for Olivia to go back and then you were on your own? Did you have to take on more work then, or was there more volunteers constantly coming in?
1: Yeah, that was that was challenging when Olivia went um, I took over the desk but I had no support so I had an awful lot of money and an awful lot of people in front of me and yeah it was massively challenging it was I was under massive stress at the time I like I got I developed a shake in my right and and I could barely talk at times because of the the pressure I was under Mm. um, sleep was very very hard come by Um, so luckily luckily I I was kind of looking at the situation I was thinking I'm going to have to uh, share out this responsibility because I can't I can't possibly you couldn't stay going at what I was Mm. doing so um, so a gentleman from uh, Dublin came over, Conor O'Reilly is his name And he started doing what I was doing. So he, so when there was somebody in front of us, he could take down the passport details. I could liaise with somebody as to what was going on, which was a huge thing. And then we got translators that would work permanently with us and dealt with different cases as well. Uh, There was a girl from Sasha. There was a girl called Sasha from New York. then there was a lady from L.A. called Susanna whose parents are actually Russian. Yeah. So she was in a she was in a very very um, tricky situation because her two parents lived in Moscow, supported the war and supported Putin. But here she was having left uh, the USSR in the 80s, had gone to live her life in America and now was back at the border Supporting uh, the Ukrainians in the war while their parents supported the war in Moscow—that's
0: crazy. Yeah. Wow. So the was yeah, it's 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 no more
1: than the civil war in Ireland or I suppose mm. or any war. You, you could say the divisions run so deep that it, it 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 breaks up families.
0: Wow. It's funny you never would think of these things, Sean, unless you're actually presented with them.
1: No, and you never. And that was a that was a one thing that really I remember from it when I was over there because I think um, when we read about war and we read uh, the history books and that and you, you hear these strategies and what different world leaders are doing and you know if we can suffocate this city we'll make them surrender and mm-hmm. hear all of these war tactics and different generals in command and you know the, the language itself is quite romantic and I think particularly some people like to think that they would do things differently and more but when it comes down, it, war is just pure pain. Like war is, war is this family in front of you with an autistic child who doesn't know where they're going to go, and the mm. child is becoming more and more distressed because it's lost its teddy on the journey, or you mm. know the dog that they had for the that some family had for the last fourteen years. They could they can't go back into Markev or mm. Mariupol or any of these cities and get the dog. And, out shame, they're shaming themselves because they don't have the dog, and you know mm-hmm. it's these—it's it's families that are torn apart, and that—that that, like it's just that's what the—that's what war is. War isn't war isn't like the, the tanks and the romantic language and the patriotism and all the other things that go with it. Nationalism, when on the ground, like war is just pain, and it's the long-term pain of people's lives. That—that's mm-hmm. what I took from it.
0: This is the thing, Sean, as well, I'd say, the mental health. Like, was there anyone? Like, was there volunteers in to work with mental health and making sure everyone was okay on that side of things, or was it really like bottom line survival, survival mode? Was mental health nearly a topic that you couldn't even really go near it because it was it was so much about survival at that point?
1: Yeah, that's a really that's a really great question. Um, yeah, I, I think yeah, I think you're right. I think the way you you phrase that is probably correct like you you kind of survive so you you get food water and shelter and you kind of deal with the aftermath after so everybody Mm -hmm. is in a state of shock as it is everybody is
0: you know in in everyone's living their own different world in this horrible
1: evil place and Mm -hmm. you can feel the tension of the war it's like it's like depression, it's like that dark cloud coming down over you, it. only it's over absolutely everybody in the area mm. so, yeah I think I think yeah you're right, you're
0: deep. You, you deal with like, the practical side of things first and, you know,
1: you're a father and you have three kids, you don't have time to be take, feeling sorry for yourself because your kids have nowhere to sleep yeah. so or, you, you deal like obviously you're aware of how you are but I mean, you, you have to deal you deal with all that when you have a shelter and when you have bread on the table. So, yes, definitely you could say that the the mental health side of things was completely neglected.
0: Definitely. It almost seems like mental health support would be a luxury in a time like yeah. that. It's not really something that's accessible. But the volunteers, how did you manage to stay strong? Were you constantly commute? Like, did you have time to even, to just... To, to let what was you were expressing out of you because it was a I'd say that was a terribly intense because again thrown in at the deep end is definitely a phrase I would use to describe what you all were facing there. I mean, there was no you had no expectations I suppose of what you were going in for, um, or none that anyone really could have given you the honesty of what the expectations would be. Um, so how did you actually manage to sustain yourselves?
1: Yeah, um, well I I knew that. I knew that after four, four or five weeks, that like my mental capacity was definitely dwindling, and it was taking a toll. But the way I, I, I decided to view it was that if I used to call it the bottom line. So, if your bottom line, if your soul and all your being and all the good stuff in you, if that's really solid, you can you can acknowledge in yourself that your brain is under severe stress here, and that you're under pressure and that the oppression of the whole atmosphere is is having a massive effect on your mental capacity Mm. but if your bottom line is really really solid and you know you're doing all you can in this particular situation then you can view your mind as just another part of you so that was that was that was an important um thing for me to be able to view my mind in a different capacity not be living through my
0: mind if you know what i mean do you know, I think that's an excellent way to look at things. It's, that's distinction between soul, mind. I think that, you know, that would have been huge. Um, wow, I'm just thinking of everything you went through. Are you still feeling like... Are you still feel Like, do you still have... Like, do you, you know the way they talk about post-traumatic stress and things like that after the war? Is there any volunteers you can see that are clearly suffering with that at the moment? Or what What do you think is happening there?
1: Yeah, it's... Um it, it's a great question that um, because on one level like uh, on one level you could say so when I came back I, I I needed to push. I need so my contact details would have been very very uh, would have been spread around the center and you know even when I came back there was a, there was a lot of people ringing me to know right what are the roots of families here that don't know. You send somebody to Cork. Can you get me in touch with them? So there was a there was a period where you had to dwindle out because you can't you can't just you can't just just yeah go in there and manage uh, that people's lives and then cut off. So there was definitely a period there of oh definitely it was a month if not more where I was kind of half in uh, involved Uh, and then I decided. Okay, I have, I have as much, you've, um, given to this cause, but, but then I think kind I of started strengthening myself back up again, but, I, as regards like, post traumatic stress and that kind of thing, I would definitely say I am, I am fully recovered.
0: Fantastic. I think I just think it's an incredible thing and you were also, what we all love to see was you documented the experience. You were on Facebook. Um, you were very informative to everybody about the funds, where everything was going, um, how your experience was and I understand as well you got sick as well. Um, can you tell us well about the conditions like when you were living over there, where did the volunteers um, where were their base? Were they also in the shopping centre staying or did you have separate accommodation for yourselves?
1: Yes, yeah, so we stayed in the, uh, just to go back to the post-traumatic stress I remember yeah. I was lucky enough that I, um, I met a priest just by pure chance and okay. it was a funeral mm-hmm. and he came over and he wants to know how I was and hmm. or who I was actually and I said oh God knows my name and he's like oh very good he said how are you I said I'm not too bad I'm just back from the border there and he said well how are you since I said I'm, I think I'm okay and he asked me well, are you going to bed? No, he said, do you have nightmares? And I said, no. And he said, well, are you going to bed thinking of what happened over there? And I said, no. He said, is it the first thing you think of when you wake up? And I said, no. So then that gave me massive reassurance to be like, Mm. okay, I'm not sleeping with it. So it's obviously not playing a huge part
0: of the way I think. So that that was really good.
1: But to get back to the... Accommodation. I so we stayed in the van for the first period of time over there, which was right outside the shopping centre. And then many of the volunteers stayed in like cheap hotels around the place. And then there was also a number of you see the volunteers we needed throughout the night as well. So a lot of them stayed in like makeshift beds in cleaned-out back rooms and just in the tough fictions really.
0: Okay. and as well so, I was I remember you were docu- as I said you were documenting the whole time on Facebook how important was it for you at the time to do those videos and even in them videos did you kind of feel like a healing process as soon as you offloaded everything that was in yeah. you, on your shoulders
1: yeah and you know the biggest thing was that you felt like you know there's comments like, because I wouldn't be one to comment on Facebook and when you put up the videos and somebody comments something really warm you can feel the fact that they're supporting you and that's Mm. that was a huge thing that was a really really massive thing yeah that was i mean i wouldn't i I wouldn't have survived like without that kind of uh support from home um yeah that was that was that was really really important and i know olivia was the same
0: well, this is the thing, and I'd often describe humanitarian people as like the armchairs of society, the comfort. But the other thing is, the other side of it is, yeah, but who supports those people that are the armchairs? But you had that support, I suppose, that online, that was your feedback to keep you going. Um, because I think that's truly, truly important that the people that are doing the amazing work over there have that sense of support. So I'm delighted to hear, Sean, that you really felt um, a sense of love and affection, I suppose, behind the scenes back home that was really important
1: yeah that, that was that was massively important and um, yeah even like I remember the first two weeks it took me two weeks to settle I mean to settle down into what was going on here because you were going from say going hurling training and you know what's for dinner and hmm. did you feed the dog these kind of like daily daily questions and then you place yourself on the border of a war zone and there's the most evil um, things that we know in this world are all accumulated and exaggerated in this area and yeah you're trying to like you're going to bed the first night and the first first five nights the first two weeks i think and you're just staring up at the fan you're like did i actually hear that today like Did you hear about this? Did you hear about that? Like, the corruption, everything horrible that happens, women and children, as everyone knows all these things that happen. And, you know, it it takes a long time to trust it. So for the support to be there was was massively important. Because otherwise, I think all them things would start wearing away at you. That's,
0: yeah, I think so, Sean. And also, I suppose, do you feel like, in some ways it put life into perspective and do you feel like your views towards life itself have changed dramatically
1: Uh, that's yes Um, I think that I think that family I think that well I think that love is the. I mean I think the only thing really worth talking about in life is love and if you have uh, if you have family and you communicate with even some of your family members. That that is really the most important thing. So yeah, highlighted highlighted, just be kind and you know nothing else really matters, only the people in your life like so yeah, definitely definitely changed the way I viewed I viewed life.
0: I imagine so. I think Anyone to experience war, but also the rare, the rare way that you got to at this time. Like I never, we never would have thought in the twenty first century, I suppose, that we'd ever see a war again. Um, so I think it's incredibly rare thing to be a part of what you did, and that the volunteering and the time. Ha, is that still going on now in the centre? Is that, I suppose, there's still families fle- fleeing to that shopping centre, or has that since been dissolved, Sean? Yes. Yeah, so
1: the British government.
0: there was a lot of split so a lot of families kind of split up
1: oh yeah like every every family would be every family that we that's for every person would be would be very very few well no I won't say every actually but I'd say one in every like hundred maybe or it was very very rare that you would have family in front of you that would be a full family okay yeah because the conscription was in at the time and I'm not sure if it's still in, I presume it is, but the inscription was from the age of 16 to 65. So they had it at 18 to 65, and then they, because they needed more troops, they lowered the number to 16. Now, what I think was happening was we would come across men who were qualified, maybe as a doctor or a teacher or nurse, or engineer or architect, so I think what Zelensky was doing was he was giving, um, he was giving people, he was offering people permission who were qualified to leave, so that when Ukraine, hopefully when Ukraine come, has finds its feet again and comes back after the war, uh, it won't take as long to rebuild the country, because they'll have, so they export the brains of it, if you like.
0: Absolutely, and I have a question as well from Connor in there listening in in Lecaro, and he wants to know, roughly, Sean, how many people do you think you have personally helped between flights and everything?
1: So between the desk um between the desk at the start, say when Joby uh set up the desk and by the time I was leaving
0: it was it was around three hundred and fifty. Wow. So yeah. if you hadn't have went over what would have happened to those three hundred and fifty people, Sean? Do you think?
1: Uh, Honestly, no. Well, if there was no Irish desk, they would have. They would have had to find somewhere else. They, not to try and give you a short answer, but they would. If, if I, they wouldn't have got to. They wouldn't have got to Ireland anyway. That's for sure, because uh, they didn't have the money.
0: Okay. And do you think, just in a, I suppose in an opinion sense, do you feel like they would have got, gotten somewhere else?
1: They would have, they would have been able to get into, I you know Germany were taking in, um, Germany were taking in a lot. But, you see, the thing about this cure, by the time we were leaving mm. the situation, there was less people coming, but there was, the free travel across Europe had been lifted, so okay. there was no free trains or free buses anymore.
0: So a lot had changed.
1: Yeah, so an awful lot. So if you were coming across the border now into Poland and it happened to me a couple of times where I people have contacted me to know uh, I have I do not say there's three Ukrainians in Longford and This could be a volunteer ringing me from the border They're yeah. like sean i have i have two ukrainians here they want to get to longford uh, they have family in longford uh, can you help but i i'm helpless now because our money is already spent and also the free travel so what could have happened when there was free travel is we could have routed them the whole way across europe to get to cherbourg in france and then from there they could get a free ferry into Dublin or Lair. but now when somebody calls me and there's no there, there's no money available it means that they have nowhere to go because there's no there's nobody going to pay for their flight to Ireland which costs money yeah and then the, the free travel is not available anymore so it is a case of I can't help you anymore
0: okay and do you feel like I'm sure from going from a, such a place of so much help and like 350 people to impact the lives of that that's not just 350 that's the generations to come from them so are you still in contact like I suppose I know you said earlier on that some of the contacts was cut off but did you get to see how they all kind of fared out roughly and what has that been like for you
1: yeah well like it, there's no I know it's it's like if, when, you, when you tell people like yeah, I suppose I'm I'm proud of what we did, what we achieved. Um, but it's okay for me. Like it's okay for me. I'm in my home here in Offley, and there's peace.
0: But mm.
1: I mean, for these people, they're really, really thankful for what happened, and they're really, really thankful that their children are safe. But I mean, the impacts of the war are still affecting them.
0: Mm.
1: But yeah. Kind of to answer your question, yeah, I have been in contact with an awful lot of them, and they are they are getting on well.
0: Well, that's fantastic to hear that. Absolutely, and I suppose you had to then, I suppose, detach and then walk away from it. How long did it take that process? I know you kind of we touched on it a little bit earlier, but um, you let, how many days altogether were you in Ukraine?
1: Uh, was there for I was at the border for I don't honestly know here I think it was around seven weeks I'm not sure
0: seven
1: weeks yeah Uh, um, and then when I came home I suppose I was in a kind of a a weird space when I came home because I didn't you see I planned on going to America during the summer
0: Hmm.
1: and doing some kind of excursion over there but I didn't have the energy then yeah. because I just needed to, kind to recover. Of down, yeah. recover yeah so I was in that I was in that space where I was just kind of I got a job in construction then and I, I, I said I'd start using my body a little bit more and start to uh, maybe think less about it and yeah. then I would definitely I would definitely say I'm I'm'm I'm fully recovered from it now and I'm, I'm nearly ready to start trying to help people in Ireland again.
0: Yeah.
1: Um. So yeah, it's it it took it took a lot out of me, but like I said, it, I knew. I mean, if you go and take on something like this, it's the that's the risk you run. Like.
0: Yeah, it's going to be life changing.
1: Yeah, and it's going to it's going to have an impact on. On your health, like, I think if I was to give any bit of advice or um, kind of speak to anyone who was thinking about helping out, I would say if you were to go over to another country and give your time and give your effort and give give yourself a time limit as to when you're going to come back, because that was a really challenging thing for us. So we went over with 45,000 euro. Olivia did unbelievable work but she had to return to work whereas yeah. I right then was left with a large chunk of money I couldn't spend it um, freely but this was people who had trusted us to do right with money and honestly yeah. we would do right Yeah. so I was in a place where I had and I remember seeing, looking at the bank account news it was I think it was around 18,000 euros at the time and like, I wasn't too far away from reaching the end, but I was stuck because I couldn't I couldn't hand that money on to somebody else because that wasn't why that money was given to us.
0: Yeah, it was the so trusted retreat. So I would return, say to
1: somebody yeah. else, if you can have, more, if, have a certain amount of time that you're going with and to be able to walk away and say, yeah, I did my best, I did the two weeks, I did, with in you know, the loose arrangements because mm-hmm. you'll get sucked in and it it can be hard to escape it like
0: I was just gonna say absolutely especially when you have all those people in need and again I suppose the language I bet you you've looked at language as something now that I suppose being I suppose speaking English and things like that it is so important
1: yeah it's, it, yeah well, English is is the, is the universal language so it, it definitely it definitely helped out and another thing that it looked. A long time for me to realise was that, like you go over, and your ego will make you believe that you're going to change the world. Yeah. But you go over, and then it takes a while for you to realise I am just a very, very small drop in the ocean here.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, well, they, they, yeah, they, that's true. But you know what? I think with forty-five thousand and to have helped three hundred and fifty people—that's not that small of a drop, Sean. <laughs> so I wouldn't say drop now. <laughs> well, maybe a half a glass. Well, you made a big splash.
1: <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah, that was that was that was the thing, like because you go over and you're all in and you're, you, you, you you love you love the.
0: back know what you can <laughs> it's true though like, you know we go back and it's a bit you know it's kind of a bit cringy saying this but was that saying from the you know they land on the moon one, one, um, one small stuff step for man one large leap for mankind and I think anyone who do, goes over and helps someone it's carried on through the generations and then it's spiralled out the people that are in that family or I suppose as well you'll inspire others and that's what you've really really done and I can see the impact of that even on your, we'll, say, we'll just take Facebook comments for a moment, and exactly what you said about that heartwarming feeling that was coming from them comments. When people see people doing things like this, it's actually, that's what, re, it's, it's real, that's real work. Do you know what I mean? It's real. That's a real sense of that's not just handing something over. That's going out there and being in the face of something. So fair play to the two of you, um, yourself and Olivia, because it's it's definitely is something that will never be forgotten. I'm sure every one of those individuals that you've helped, you know, there's not probably a day that goes by that they don't realise, or they don't think to themselves, "Oh my God, wow, look at the kindness." That kindness affects people.
1: Well, thanks, a million
0: No, it really does. It really does. I'm sure they're. I'm sure that's in their head. You know you would be there, Sean.
1: Yeah, and it was. Um, yeah, it was powerful. It was. There were moments there where, like, no matter how much evil like, they encounter, and no matter how much people are deterred from their true selves, like, there, there, there's moments of pure love and pure kindness that, that are moving. So, and I mean, thanks, a million for saying that. It it, it it definitely it definitely resonates with me, and thanks a for your, your kind words, Kira.
0: You're so welcome, Sean. And listen, thank you so much for coming on the show. And I wish you the very best of luck with Echoes of Iron. It's a fantastic show. You have some great guests yesterday. was fantastic as well. And we're all really, really enjoying listening in. And many, many more success to you in your career endeavours with radio yeah, and, and media. Oh, no, absolutely. And what an inspiring thing for anyone listening in. What would your... What would your last tip of advice there be for anyone who wants to volunteer?
1: Uh, I would say to to protect protect yourself because if you can, if, you're, if you can if you're not in a good state of mind yourself, it's very very difficult and it, it becomes more strenuous. So go for a certain amount of time and kind of lay out what you're going to do and then come away and say, "Thank God, I did my bit. I feel good. Maybe another time, I can do a little bit more."
0: absolutely absolutely thank you so much sean have a beautiful evening beautiful and <laughs> stay in an inspiration and with